Welcome to Thrills and Chills Podcast, brought to you by Sharebird and Clue. This is a show that is all about establishing product marketing and being the first product marketer. I'm your host, J.D. Prater. And today, we are talking with Jack Way. He's the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Smart Recruiters about his journey into establishing product marketing and now becoming a leader of the function. But before we do, let's give a quick shout out to Clue. That's Clue with a K. They're the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete. Compete to win with Clue. Jack, thanks so much for joining us today on Season 3 of Thrills and Chills. You're the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Smart Recruiters. However, you accidentally stumbled into product marketing. I, I, I got to know this story. How, how did you get into it? And then we'll <laughs> walk through becoming a senior director. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm happy to share. So I actually had my own startup at the time. I was a co-founder of a e-commerce software business. And I decided to step to the side because... You know, it just wasn't aligning with my lifestyle. I had a baby at the time and also differing visions with my co-founders. I was lucky enough that I stepped aside where are some of the investors that we had met along the way and the VCs that I had met actually introduced me to a lot of their portfolio companies for consulting projects because I was like, I'm not sure what my next move is going to be. And all of those projects happened to be either product marketing related or branding related. And so that's how I actually just ended up falling into product marketing and realizing, oh, hey, these are the types of projects that I'm actually pretty passionate about. I, I can stay engaged with, and I think I'm actually pretty decent and good. And then smart recruiters came about funny stories because one of our smart recruiters first enterprise customers was Visa at the time. And my wife, who's in corporate strategy at Visa was running this internal process improvement project for them. And they surveyed the entire company of 20,000 people and said, well, what are the favorite tools and what are the least favorite tools? And Smart Recruiters actually was fairly high on both of those lists. Oh, wow. so she told me, like, hey, you should look at them. There's something there because you have to pass very stringent security checkpoints for a company like Visa to you know, purchase your software. So there's something here you should take a look and you know, it has something to do with people, which she knows I care about. And it's in software, as we know, more lucrative, check them out. And you know, that's the story right there. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a pretty good ride so far. I mean, I'm with you, even going back to what you were talking about, like stumbling into product marketing, because I know there's so many product marketers now, and I know product marketing has existed, but like, Five years ago, we just weren't really talking about product marketing. I mean, five years ago, we were still like, where's our growth hackers? Like, we got to go do this and that. And now it's all about the pride of the product marketer. So there's definitely been a rise. And part of that is, you know, coming in and being able to establish a product marketing function. So talk to me about what that process has been like at Smart Recruiters. Yeah, my personal opinion, maybe there's a level of affinity bias here, is that well-rounded people, people with versatile skill sets, tend to actually do really well in product marketing. If you look at marketing at technology companies these days, there's so many areas of specialization. 
But product marketing, I would say, is the one specialty where you are required to flex from one or the other, right? We always talk about how the ideal positioning is kind of like right between sales, product, marketing, and now customer success, right? Voice of customer. And so even though that's the ideal position as a product marketer, depending on the stage of the company, right? You need to be able to context switch, jump from one to the other and pull everything together and be that cross-functional. And so to be a successful product marketer, I don't think you really need to have this very specific marketing upbringing and background. You know, you can come from different aspects, but the ability to be an athlete and kind of flex different functions or skill sets is key here. Yeah. And then even pulling from your own experience of being a founder and working in like being a consultant, you're able to figure things out. And we've talked about this, even if you go back and listen and go, go listen to season one, go listen to season two. And some of those elements that kind of always rise to the top is this curiosity. It's this entrepreneurial spirit. It's also this ability just to like get shit done and figure it out. Right. <laughs> and so I, I love that I could even see it in your own career and looking at what you've done and knowing what you like to do. It's like, yeah, of course, this guy's a product marketer. I have no <laughs> doubt. So it's pretty cool. So you've been at Smart Recruiters now three and a half years. I mean, it's been a pretty fun ride, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you guys just took a huge round, like got that Series Z money, but you've also been able to grow out a team. You've also been able to up-level your own career. I mean, starting out, you came in as a PMM, you moved up to mm-hmm. director. Now you're a senior director. Talk to us about maybe like what a PMM to director to that senior director. You cross some big chasms where a lot of people are looking, how do I become a director? And then even directors yeah. are like, well, how do I become a senior director or now maybe a VP? So walk us through some of those, maybe like those turning points, maybe those inflection points. Yeah, I think first and foremost, I am very grateful for the opportunity that's come my way, right? There's a piece where as an individual, you can push as hard as you want and you can try your best and whatnot, but there's a time and place for everything. So the fact that I think our business has grown in these times has also played a part, right, in my own personal success and of course the growth of the team too. There's a lot of like variables that's actually kind of outside my immediate control that I am thankful for. To answer the question of like from one step to the next, I'll I'll start all the way back. When I started at Smart Recruiters, yes, I actually joined to help build out a CI program on the PMM team. However, there was never a formal product marketing function of the company before, as far as I know. There was always like a couple of PMMs at, at any given time, but no formal structure in place or processes of how you work with other teams. So I think... It was actually beneficial that I didn't come from this classic, traditional PMM upbringing. I kind of came in, call it ignorance is bliss. I just said, all right, if I just treat this team, our objectives, the business objectives as something to align to without any preconceived notion, how would I just make this team successful from scratch, whether or not I'm the leader or an IC. And so right away, it's about making the right bets. We noticed that, all right, as the company was trying to move up market by targeting the enterprise, going from a freemium marketplace, it was obvious that positioning and messaging needed to change along with every single type of asset the company had ever produced. So it was very low-hanging fruit to say, all right, from a go-to-market standpoint, align with sales. 
forget about product launches, forget about customer stories and other marketing campaigns for now. Set the high level positioning and strategy, then use that to then run persona mapping exercise and build out an actual proper asset library that you can then mobilize sales with. That Doing that properly for the first like six to nine months actually bought us a lot of time to then turn around and then focus on building relationship and a partnership with product to change the way we launch products at Smart Recruiters. And again, like it wasn't just me, right? It was like communicating this type of vision and plan with the CMO and eventually and the chief revenue officer and the CEO, getting that level of buy-in to then give your team the runway to execute. And thankfully, we're able to actually execute against that plan and eventually, you know, really build a I would consider a respected PMM function of the company. So that type of motion and coming into things with a scrappy entrepreneurial mindset during that upmarket transition for the brand and for the company served me well in, hey, let's give this guy a shot to actually run the whole team. So that took me to director level, I'd say. Then the next level up was because also tied to this build out, there was a very organic motion that came into play when, okay, when you have to create all these assets and new processes, you naturally have to loop other teams in, like content, comms to an extent, design, right? And that's when I also got the opportunity to eventually run those teams at Smart Recruiters too. Oh, nice. So my scope naturally expanded as part of that move. And then we also had no customer marketing. So I was like, hey, it's really important that whatever thing we're saying is backed by customer validation. It's the most valuable piece of messaging we can have in terms of tactical marketing. So let's actually build out customer marketing or get together with PMM so that there's this natural opportunity to hear from customers, take their feedback, and then use that to drive informed product strategy as well as well as marketing content. So it was like my scope just naturally expanded from one PMM team into three other teams. So four total in marketing and, and that allowed for the next jump up. Nice. I think that that's a pretty good walkthrough. You definitely have some humility there and you've done a pretty good job. Obviously some of that's, you know, I'm going to give you kudos without even knowing that it was you. And I know a lot of this is team effort, but it still takes that strategist in you to up level. It still takes that, you know, getting that buy-in, like you make it sound so easy, but a lot of times it's not. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of PMMs do struggle with being able to communicate cross-functionally to get that buy-in, to be able to influence. So <laughs> the fact that you're able to continue to move up in your career, but also expand your scope, I'm going to assume you're pretty good at it. So <laughs> I, I don't, uh, I'm not good. Again, again, like good. Uh, no uh, element, yeah. this, is, this is a luck element, I'd say. And again, like support from others. We have a culture where I think other people genuinely want to see other people succeed which is very, very helpful. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And so, sorry, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I did blank right there. <laughs> no, you're good, man. I'm just curious with some of those early challenges, right? You've been at a company now three and a half years. You've seen your own career progress. You've seen the company grow and scale, take in yeah. more, you know, more funding. What about some of those challenges two or three years ago and how do they compare to like now? Yeah. So part of what I did that turned out to be successful was, of course, that scrappy mentality. But 
I don't recommend this, but I did put in a lot of time, effort, and energy into right, like socializing, whether a strategy or initiatives and getting cross-functional buy-in. That is, that takes a lot of time and effort. I don't think that at this stage, given our company size, that type of approach is actually scalable. So the biggest difference between when I joined, when we we're early series C to now series B, is you're no longer leading a team per se. And the idea, like you hear the buzzword of how do you up-level yourself? And it's actually really true, as cheesy as it sounds. You're no longer thinking, how do I just impact the team towards a certain objective? But it's thinking a level above and allowing people on your team to make those decisions for themselves. Giving people your lieutenants, essentially, a bigger piece of decision-making and letting go. So it's not as much the like individual scrappiness anymore, right? It's how do you actually give people the room to connect those dots themselves and so that you're not doing all the thinking. And that's the only way to scale because there's only this Captain Obvious statement, but there's only so much time in the day. <laughs> oh, 100% though. I mean, and it's true, like being able to scale those decisions I think the the contrast that I've seen people fall into these traps is giving up that ownership, thinking that only they can make that decision. And so it does limit not only their impact, but their team's impact, the company impact, because they're holding on to so much of this decision-making process instead of just enabling and empowering their lieutenants, their direct reports, whatever it may be, other orgs to go make the decisions, you know, and like, let me help you. And that can be a tough transition when you go from a one to 10 people you're managing, but now several teams that you're managing like yourself. Yeah. And which takes me to the other point of how do you advance up level and all that? It's not just the strategy and planning and the communications piece, right? It's who you hire at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely, if anything, it's actually the most important. Who you hire actually defines your own successes, the way they operate, the way they want to push themselves and the team culture, right? Got it. As much as you want A players across the board, perhaps that's not always possible, but there's, again, there's the right skill and personality for everything. If you become very, very good at hiring, that also translates into your own personal success later on. Let's dive into hiring. This is always a fun one as someone coming in, maybe you're the only PMM now, but you're working to build out your team. You're scaling out the function. You've been doing the evangelizing. And so now you're ready to make some key hires. What tips would you give to those people that are in that spot right now that maybe they know they're going to get some headcount coming up? You know, Q1's almost here. We're getting some, maybe Mm -hmm. some new budgets for the new year. What advice do you have on hiring? And uh, I'd love to hear any good questions that you may have as well. (laughs) So I think there's several variables at play. Number one is what is the perception of the PMM team from other parts of the org? Number one, where is the pain most acute? Again, because earlier I mentioned, right, you could be leaning, you could veer more towards sales or product or demand gen, perhaps marketing brand or customer success. Where is your alignment here? Where's the lowest hanging? What type of work needs to be done? Are you trying to build a team of all stack PMM? 
marketers or are you looking for specialists that only focus on one piece of the workflow or function? Of course, most importantly, what is the ultimate business objective? If you want to prove value and get noticed by the C-suite, what do they actually care about? And then at the end of the day, what do customers need? Probably, probably should have communicated that yeah. in reverse order, right? Uh, this is my problem. Um, so that then dictates who the type of talent you look for to kind of map it back to how I did it at Smart Recruiters. I definitely, you can probably tell already, I appreciate full stack marketers and the versatility. And so I actually tried to find somebody initially who was very much heavier on the content side, but I look for equal left, right brain, people who are comfortable with writing, positioning, but also numbers, because there's this analytical component to PMM. I think that's a little bit undervalued. We all have to be curious. It's not always just about finding a solution, but discovering the problem so you can frame properly and know who you're talking to. But to be able to back up a, a piece of messaging, right, with actual data and not just what customers tell you, but if you have the ability to go and like conduct primaries or secondary research or even farm that out, that's really, really powerful. I think that's an undervalued aspect of PMMs that needs a bit more attention. And so I tried to hire people who brought that balance and maybe they were a bit stronger on the qualitative side, but some were stronger on the quantitative side. But as an overall team, it was very, very well-rounded and we could kind of tackle and context switch from one project to another, from one team to another, that ultimately I think the executive team at Smart Recruiters saw a lot of value. Cool. I like it. That's a really good breakdown. It's a really great framework for those going to be doing some hiring. Do you have any fun questions you like to ask or anything that help you maybe assess where someone might be? I, I like to ask vague questions. And not the vague type of like that, you know, you would hear from Google 10 years yeah. ago, like a case <laughs> question of like, hey, if you were the size of an ant in a blender, like how would you get a blender? No, <laughs> it's more like situational. Like, give me an example when Blank. and see like yeah. how they go. Right now we're freestyling, but if I was doing a more serious interview, I'd probably want to bring frameworks to tell you to give the interviewer more context as like, how exactly I'm thinking through things, all the different elements I, I'm considering. The reason why I think PMM is becoming more important as SaaS companies is because when you're in this team or function, you naturally have the opportunity, if you so choose, to zoom into projects at a very tactical level, but you certainly have the opportunity to zoom out and kind of see the lay of the land, right? The, the natural motion of product development through launch and post-sale success. That's the entire life cycle of a, a business, essentially. It's not just really pertaining to product and sales. There's so many pieces involved along the way that PMM has the opportunity to touch. And so I think, yeah, giving people the space, back to the original question, it's asking broad questions that allow them to kind of frame their own answer. It's, it's more about the how than the destination. Right, right. The one thing I love that you started talking about is life cycle. And so I, I want to transition a little bit here because I want to talk about a little bit about category creation. So you've been launching products, you've seen their life cycle, you've been working on the launch and the adoption, but now it's like time for something brand new and creating a category, especially in the PMM world. This is like the Super Bowl for us. It's like, oh, we get to go create a category, right? I mean, it's tough. So I would love just to hear a little bit more about 
what that was like for you? First, people might you know call me out on social media or hate me for saying this. <laughs> but I really, really am against the idea of category creation, or I hate how much of like a catchphrase is become. Yeah. yeah. Category creation to me simply means brand building. Okay. And when you think about messaging at its core, as a product marketer, this is kind of counterintuitive or antithesis, antithesis to what we're trained to do. The architecture of a messaging framework should be what's your brand promise, right? Yeah. And then product and several other things fit underneath that. So I think category creation is essentially about up-leveling your message so that you leave somebody, you leave your audience, their takeaway is how you made them feel as opposed to what you just told them about your value proposition and your and your the benefits of your product and the future functionality, blah, blah, blah. Like who cares at the end of the day? In most industries, every company looks the same 90% of the way through, but there's that 10% difference. And sure, you may want to fight nice fights calling out those 10% difference and try to win deals. But at the end of the day, how do you differentiate and stand up? Well, that's your brand message. And that's, to me, category creation is the labeling of where you want your brand to go or how you want to stand up. But it's not the end all be all. Like for us at Smart Recruiters, we, part of that move up market, we noticed that, hey, when we ran this architecture exercise, and we compare that with competitive intelligence, like we all kind of do the same thing and say similar things. Yes, there are areas where we're stronger than others and vice versa. But the true difference is the way that, you know, our people stand out when it comes to partnership, our hiring success movement, as we would like to call it, because we're trying to up-level talent acquisition. Historically, a team that's underfunded, but as you and I had just discussed, People at the end of the day make a business go, yeah. right? And make the right hires and all that. So how do we empower this underserved audience? And that's why they remember us at the end of the day. Yes, we have this solid product that helps them do their day-to-day operations or their team do so, but you're no longer talking to the day-to-day user. You're talking to the leader who needs a more of a voice. They need to be armed to make a business case to the C-suite to buy technology. Well, how do you do that? You actually start with strategy, yeah, right? So the whole notion of this category creation, at least when it pertains to talent acquisition, is actually more about leading with the why and the strategy as opposed to leading with product. Nice. I like it, man. Well, hopefully we'll get some nice comments on that one. Maybe someone's going to fight you for it. I understand what you're saying. Don't It's not that I agree or don't disagree. I'm kind of in your camp. I also understand that the category creation people are kind of, I'm taking the middle ground here, which is very, that's very lame. So maybe by the time this airs, I'll have something better in the comments to react to. But I think overall, what you were saying is definitely pretty spot on of really trying to understand, to recap like that feeling aspect. And I think too many times, this is what product marketers can definitely learn from our brand marketing friends. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of times we might criticize or critique our brand marketing friends and like, ah, what do they know? But they're, they're really good at feeling. They're really good at coming across in messaging in such a way that it does yeah. that. And I think too many times I see product marketers are very good at understanding value props and getting that message across. But if I could critique it, it would be, 
you're missing that 10% of that feeling of how I felt mm -hmm. when I was on this landing page. And so I'm taking that as a takeaway. I'm going to go challenge myself and <laughs> see if I can get some more feels coming through in the words that I pick and the words that we choose when we're trying to describe our product, yeah. especially in comparison to, you know, our competitors. So spot on, yeah. man. I like it. It's all going to be connected at the end of the day anyway, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we ask all of everyone that comes on here. Uh, this is mm -hmm. the thrills and chills part of the show. So these are the highs and the lows. When you look back on your career, you know, what were some of those thrills? What, what were some of those chills? I think it's always very exciting to be building. And no matter the size of the company you're at as a product marketer, you go through the ebb and flow of, yeah, a build out where you're trying to scale a team or different skill sets, whatnot, depending on the growth of the business, right? Then there's a period of stabilization and hopefully you get the opportunity to grow and build again. So I think this type of pattern or experience isn't unique regardless of the company, but that in and of itself is the throw, right? The like ability to build and to really see that immediate impact. And again, because PMMs have the opportunity to touch many aspects of the business, if you have set the right expectations and there's right, the right alignment, you can just jump right in and your the results or the outcome of your work is actually very visible. Even though everybody says P the hardest part about PMM, maybe the chills part is there's no like hard metric that would define PMM success, right? right? Yeah. That question comes up no matter where you go, whether it's a podcast or a job interview, how do you measure success? Well, there's actually like so many different ways. It just depends on the alignment and the objective at the time. So sometimes that piece of communication or debate internally, I wouldn't call it a chill, but it's a challenge at times. And in the natural maturity and evolution of a company with people coming and going, you have to feel like a parrot at times and repeat yourself many times. Yeah even when you might not want to. And as you go through that cycle, part of the chills I would call out is again, back to the people. When you build a team, you feel invested in your people. Well, the natural emotion is, you know, the average tenure of a CMO at, in Silicon Valley, I heard the other day was like 14 months or something ridiculous. Wow. It makes me think like I never want to be one, but <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, just the natural turnover yeah. Whether sometimes it seems like it's out of your control, right? But when you put so much time, effort, energy into building out a team and you see success, that moment is very fleeting. And which means you constantly have to reinvent, reassess who you have, where you're going and the gaps you need to fill and the process starts over again. So it is really throws and chills naturally yeah. when it comes to the people in the build-up motion and it's just continuous. Yeah, I mean, it's so many times, it's almost like when I ask you, what is the thrill in the chill, right? Like you might be in the thick of a chill where it's just a slog, but three, four, six months later, you look back and you're like, we got through it. And it was such a thrill, right? I mean, yeah. I think about that even in my own career and just in my own experience of just so many times. It just depends when you ask me, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And from like a very pure PMM standpoint, people aside, I think the best thrill is, you know, when you launch a product and you just see it take off. Yeah. Like, yes. Like, yes. Something was done. Everybody came to the table together and it just went smoothly. Barely happens, 
rarely happens. Rarely happens. When yeah. it does, it's amazing. And then on the flip side of that, chills is you launch something and it's crickets. And you're like, yeah. oh shit. <laughs> yeah, a dud. <laughs> yeah. And it's I'm sure it's happened to many of us, right? Yeah. But you pick yourself up and you just keep moving forward. There's nowhere else to go. <laughs> That's right, man. You gotta keep moving forward. You know, it's the baby steps, it's the one foot in front of the other, right? So yeah, well, Jack. Thanks again, man, for coming on Thrills and Chills, talking to us a little bit about getting into product marketing, growing your career in product marketing. And then again, some of those thrills and those chills and even some of the challenges of being a product marketer. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Judy. And now a quick word from our partners at Clue. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, Highspot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. And we'll see you next Thursday. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, things you liked, things you want to hear, anything else, please email us at podcasts at sharebird.com. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I look forward to seeing you next week.